The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Uh, content's been light this week, guys. I have been exhausted. I hit so many courts this week. And let's just start with a couple... My preparation on this one is lacking, so I'm kind of just going to be real about stuff, and I'll tell you how it all start. Before we get into that, Nancy Gordon, happy birthday, my friend. Great lawyer out in Lenaway. You don't know the name, Nancy Gordon, you should. Nancy and I have known each other since, it's been a long time. So the other night, um, maybe last week? I did a blog about high school cliques and parties. And, you know, there were some mixed reactions to that one. It was weird. Because some people had experienced that. And I want you to understand something, guys. We can only tell a story through our lens, right? The ones of us that are a step above, a cut above, or whatever, we try to read it through the other person's eyes. Most people are not deep enough to do that. And I certainly try to make that effort. But I also... When I get in telling a story from the past, I get lost in the moment. And one of the things that's exhausting about these at times is I go back to the moment. And after that particular blog, somebody sent me a song. And they said, this is how I feel when I listened to your blog the other night. And it got me thinking about music. And music's been such a big part of my life. Like, I cannot write a brief without having my headphones on. If I'm not working out with Adam's son, who is the best trainer in Michigan, shameless plug there. But I'm not working out with Adam and I'm on my own. I gotta have my music on. And the thing that's amazing about music, whether you were a poor kid on Willow Avenue or a lawyer living on Lore Road, music has stood the test of time. And it's weird with certain songs. I'm a big lyrics person, you know? And as somebody who wrote a little bit in the past, it's, I hear you, Emily Thomas, I agree with that. It speaks to emotions, the heart can't. But you know, on that thought, Em, have you had a song that meant something to you at one point in your life and you look back on it with a different view today because that's kind of where I'm at with a few of these things and there's so many powerful songs that have played a role in my life but what I've decided today I'm going to take a couple songs got a few and um, I want to tell you where I was when the song hit me and then how I view things today or how I view things at different points in my life. And it's kind of like a little bit of a life story through music. And it hit me when somebody who used to be a friend actually sent over a song which we view in very different a lot, very different ways. The first song I'm gonna talk about is Black by Pearl Jam. This came out in 1991. So, I'm going to try and not completely go back in the moment with some of these, because some of these moments are tough. But, um, yeah. Scott Zolbert, may he rest in peace. It was one of my few friends from the right side of tracks growing up. And uh, he had Pearl Jam 10. And my favorite song on that tape, and I had the tape back then, Scott let me the tape, I should say, was Black. And I remember before my first mock trial tournament. And I am. Um, I went to my mom's room. Mom was at work in the casino. 
I had a little room to the right, she had a room to the left, and I would go in her room and just play music on my little tape deck in there and just sing or focus or whatever to try to overcome the day. And it was weird because as you looked out of mom's room, you sold the violence of Pitney Village. But here I am before my first mock trial tournament. It's my junior year. Um, and everybody's talking about all these great songs, but the one song, Black, just stuck out to me. And I remember Aunt Mary telling me before I went up to the room that night, she goes, hey, tomorrow you're going to change the world. And I'm like, it's a mock trial tournament. She goes, no, tomorrow you're going to change the world. Go try to relax. And I didn't know what that meant at that time. And the term changing the world is such a subjective thing. But I sat in my room, in mom's room, I should say, and like, the fear of Pitney Village was quashed for a minute. And I'm focused on this mock trial tournament. And I'm replaying it in my mind. And you're this 16-year-old kid from the wrong side of the tracks. And the lyrics that hit me so goddamn hard. Eddie Vedder is pouring his heart out in this song, right? And you can tell this is before the money and the fame and the women and all that happy horseshit. The lyrics, I know one day you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be a star in somebody else's sky. But why can't it be mine? And I don't know, we could all interpret that differently, but... I knew, when I heard Eddie Vedder say those powerful words, in black, that I knew my future wasn't going to be in Jersey. And I knew what was going to happen tomorrow was going to dictate everything. And I played that song over and over again. And I'm just this kid looking at myself in the mirror, playing this tape till it popped. You remember that when it popped, how you would roll it back? And the song was so powerful, you took a chance on losing the tape again. Now you had to give your friend 10 bucks for it if it went bad, but which was a big number back then. It was Eddie Vedder played Black. The last time I listened to it before I went to bed, I kind of knew that we were going to win that tournament the next day. I knew it was going to be the start of a very different path for me. Today, when I listen to that song, it's weird, because now I'm that 16-year-old kid again at times. And I look at it today, you know, you live so much more in those years, right? What's he really talking about? Well, he's talking about a girl he lost. He's talking about somebody he loved. About somebody that chose somebody over him. Okay, and I get all that, but... The way we internalize the lyrics... To me, it was about escaping the hood. So I'll always be fond of Pearl Jam. And when I think back to the song Black on Pearl Jam 10... I go back to Willow Avenue. I go back to Gloria Neri's room and looking out at Pitney Village and for a minute just thinking things are going to be okay. Yeah. Damn good song. The next one is Disarm by the Smashing Pumpkins. Siamese Dream Album 1993. And this is right before the state championship for Mock Trial Junior Year. And let me explain that. Mock Trial was such a big deal to so many people. And I remember trying out for the team because my aunt wanted me to. Mr. Gradziel wanted me to. I just wanted to play baseball. But once you were in there you started understanding the powers that be, what football was to the athletic crew, mock trial became to the academic crew, and I'm not in those high classes. I'm just not at that point. The dyslexia is bad. I don't even know what it is. And the state title's coming up. And they let us leave early from school that day. 
because we had to go to the courthouse. And um, we had to go home and shower and look pretty and all that happy horse shit. And uh, I go up to the bathroom to get groomed and all that. And I'm playing Disarm on my handheld radio tape deck. And I see the fear in my aunt's face. And I don't know why she's so scared. And then I see the stress in all the coaches' face. I'm replaying everything and I'm realizing this state tournament meant so much to so many. As I'm hearing Billy Corrigan sing this arm, I'm sitting in my bathtub in our one bathroom apartment in the hood. Just, um, it kind of hit me that everything that's so important to everybody else, I, I kind of missed it, right? And I started thinking about conversations differently. And remember that Miss Gandia was telling me how this state title was so important. And I realized at that moment, they didn't like Miss Gandia. When I say they, the powers that be. Keith Graziel was a great guy. But just like the school of Exley High was segregated, so were the teachers. You know, the ones that taught the rich kids had a different level of respect. And the ones that taught the poor kids and the minority kids, minority kids, most of who were poor at that time, looked at differently. Miss Gandia did not give a shit about Atlantic City High School winning a mock trial state tournament in 1993. What Miss Gandia cared about was one of her kids playing a vital role in that. And it all hit me as we're preparing to go into this battle, if you would. And this arm is playing, and I'm hearing the pain in Billy Corgan's voice, and I can't help but think, man, Aunt Mare, and Mom, and Gandy. And as bad as things are, things are bad financially, all these amazing people, in one way or another, have sacrificed for me to be able to play a role in this state championship tournament. It was more important to them than it was to me. I think part of me, as a frustrated, poor, 16-year-old kid who doesn't know what's going on, I mean, you don't really know how poor you are till you know how poor you are. You don't know how bad things are till you learn about it, right? Ignorance is bliss. And the learned behavior is such a goddamn thing. I mean, but I learned that day. And it's something that's really served me well in life. For those I care about. For those I love. For those in my inner circle. For those that need something. The needs of them is more important than the needs of me. I'll always be okay. But the ones I really give a shit about, if I gotta bleed for them to survive, it's not even a debate. That day made me a better friend. It made me a better person. It made me a much better lawyer. And as the weight of the world and all these people's dreams is on my shoulder, I went out there, I mean, I performed perfectly because what choice did you really have, right? And I wanted them to be happy. When we were taking our pictures and all when we won that state tournament, I didn't really care about slapping five with Elliot Geller. You know, I didn't care about being in the picture with the old Margate kids. 
I didn't care that girls start looking at you differently. I just want to look out there and see Aunt Mare and Mom and Miss Gandy with such pride in their eyes that their boy did something to show that this caste system is complete bullshit. That's what disarm meant to me as a junior in high school. And when I look at it today, you know, it's weird. When I listen to that song today, it's playing a role in so many things in my life. The song has been inspiration to put in more hours when I was exhausted. The song actually taught me about myself. I don't know Billy Corgan. I don't know anybody from Smashing Pumpkins. But I know they were inspirational to a young kid from the hood. And I always will appreciate that. Third song on the list. Found Out About You by the Gin Blossoms. Yeah. New Miserable Experience was the album in 1992. You know, and this was senior year of high school, and senior year we lost in the state finals. And uh, by senior year, you know, you kind of took on a new life. Things were changing. And what I learned about that song, and it's it's hallowing, right? You learned about the bands. I always liked the Gin Blossoms. They were different. And you learned that Doug Hopkins was a major player in the band. And their label forced the band to get rid of Doug Hopkins. Doug Hopkins was this amazing songwriter. And he was a bad alcoholic. And he had his issues with narcotics. And he just could not perform on the level that the label wanted them to. And the band was so loyal to Doug Hopkins that they wouldn't. They were willing to give up their chance at millions and fame and fortune to be loyal to him. And the label went up to Doug Hopkins. And they said, hey, here's $15,000. You sign over the royalties to your songs. And Doug Hopkins, desperate for money, does it. Now today we learn that's an adhesive contract. And it would not hold up in court. Uneven bargaining power, right? But he did give up. And when he signed away his rights, the poor band at this point is like, well, shit, we gotta do what we gotta do. And their album killed it. And their big hit was Hey Jealousy, but found out about you. That was talking about when they were suffering. It was talking about the girls that were kind of groupies moving on to bigger bands because they overlooked who the Gin Blossoms were. And the Doug Hopkins tragedy. And the lyrics that get you at the end, and if you listen to the song, and I'll, I'll try to post some of these later. You listen to the song. And I'll break it down. The last stanza is some of the most powerful stuff I ever heard in my life. He says, street lights blink all through the car window. I get the time too often on AM radio. Stop for a minute. This is a guy who's lost. This is a guy who's driving around and he's searching AM radio to try to find existence. And then he says to her, and he's singing to her, whoever she is, Well, you know it's all I think about. I write your name, drive past your house. Your boyfriend's over, I watched your lights go out. And you could feel the pain in this guy's voice. And as years went on, this was senior year, I don't know, I started to see things differently with some of the members of the mock trial team. Now it became important to me, because it's important to Gandhi, it's important to Aunt Mare, it's important to Mom. But it wasn't important to the team as much anymore. Now they were experiencing their first loves and confusion about somebody picking someone else over you and all this other shit 
And I don't, yeah, shit, we didn't win the national, we didn't win the state championship. This sucks. And I watched this song play such a role in heartache and despair. And I guess what I learned from that song, you don't know what's going on inside somebody's head. And I think of a friend of ours from Jersey. I won't mention his name. I can't mention his name. You know, and he loved this girl. And he loved this girl. And she left him. And nothing he did. It just weren't meant to be. And he killed himself over her. And he was a little older than us. But this was just a good person, right? And I wish I knew about life then what I know now. I think I could have played a role in helping him survive. Because if you're watching this, you are so much better than that person. And the world lost somebody so amazing. But I, when I hear found out about you, I think about him. I think what he must have been going through. And I gotta tell you, I've never felt strong enough about somebody to want to hurt myself. Never. And it's such a permanent resolution to a temporary problem. But we don't know what's going on inside somebody's head. And I feel like when Doug Hopkins wrote those lyrics, it was a cry for help. Today, there's this band called Punchline. They redid the song. And it's amazing. I look at it more now like this amazing cautionary tale. And when I think back to my youth and that song, I love the song, but I just can't connect to the pain the singer has towards the individual. But I could feel that pain in others. That's rough. Next song. This one hits way too close to home, but, um, the song Joey by Concrete Blonde. Alright, so, she's singing about a guy, and she say it's okay, I got the money, and I'll make things work. And the guy is drunk, and he's passed out on the floor, and this woman is trying to fix all the things wrong. And it makes me think of mom. My mom was in a bad relationship. Really bad relationship. So bad that I... I tried to take care of that situation. Take that for what you will. But my mom would listen to that song. And... She would cry about this guy. And... It was a guy who she was financially supporting and a guy that she put the family relationship in front of and I realized mom who I love and miss every day but she was looking for something that we just couldn't provide you know she wanted to be accepted that's what I hate about these goddamn cliques because Aunt Mare and Mom and Miss Gandia, they taught me to stick it up the click's ass. Nobody was there to teach them that, so they suffered through that bullshit. And when I hear Joey by Concrete Blonde, it angers me. And I will tell you today, I am so proud of the fact. I've never taken a dime from a woman. Whether it was a friend or a romantic relationship, I've never had a woman buy me dinner. I've always picked up the tab. I've always been what a man's supposed to be. What I learned in that relationship is I cannot stand men living off of or taking advantage of women. And I think back to that scumbag taking advantage of my mother. And when I hear Joey from Concrete Blonde, as great of a song as it is, it brings me back to this time period and it just you know i've said this before and i mean this 
everybody's relationship is their relationship. And if you're not in it, you have no right to comment on it. But when I feel a woman's getting taken advantage of some way or another by a man, I have flashbacks to my mother in the song Joey by Concrete Blonde, and it hits me in a very weird place. Follow You Down by the Gin Blossoms. From the album Congratulations, I'm Sorry in 1996. I'm in college. And, um, about 20 at this point. And they, the Gin Blossoms wrote this song right after Doug Hopkins died. It was kind of like an ode to him. He sadly committed suicide. And for me, this song was about growing up. I kind of realized at this point in life that um, baseball was not going to happen. I'm like playing travel baseball and I'm trying to hang on to a dream. But I'm working 40 hours in the casino, I'm taking 16 credits in school, I'm trying to play travel baseball and something's got to give. And Follow You Down was just like, it was reality kicking in. You're going to do some things in life, but baseball's not going to be one of them. And if something's got to give, it's got to be baseball. It can't be the casino because you got to support Aunt Mary and Mom. It can't be college, that's your future. And it's one of those situations I always say, you got to cut off the finger to save the hand. And follow you down is like this dose of reality. And what I've learned today, no matter how hard we try, we can't save everybody. You just can't. God knows I've tried. People have come in contact. But follow you down from the gin blossoms. It's a hard dose of reality. It reminded me, hey, some dreams can't come true. And you know what? That's okay. Doesn't mean because you can't play professional baseball, you can't do amazing things. But um, follow you down talks about endings and today I look at it like oof, boy certain relationships and friendships and stuff there's a reason something's gotta end and while it may suck initially sometimes it's the best thing in the world don't forget that guys Champagne High by Sister Hazel the Fortress album, 2000. Champagne High is about a guy watching um, this girl get married who he really cared about. And for some reason he attends the wedding. Very odd. And, you know, right before the New Jersey bar exam, um, an ex-girlfriend of mine, she got married and she was at the New Jersey bar exam. She was there. She actually sent me the video. There's a lot that goes into her. She's a psychological study in and of herself, right? But I remember she's happy and she's married. Well, I mean, she at least pretended to be happy and married. And we're taking the bar exam. And I learned some weird about myself those two days in New Jersey. Um, This was a shot at depression. This is long before success, long before Jewel was in the picture, long before there was Teddy and Maxie and all these great things. This is like you're out of law school and you're taking the bar and you're in financial aid debt and there were some nerves going at that first bar exam. I mean, let's just be real. And when she sent me that song, I went out there like I performed perfectly. And I realized that day it was a reminder that sometimes depression with me has led to amazing professional results and that's just I'm an anomaly in that regard today when I think of the song Champagne High I'm like wow great song amazing lyrics but dude why are you going to the wedding there'd be something good on Netflix that day we won't <clears throat> Uh, 
the Skeletons album by Hawthorne Heights in 2010. The one song, Nervous Breakdown. That was such a dark time for me. And I know I'm going to hurt some feelings with this one, but have you ever been in that relationship you got to get out of? That was where I was at in 2010. Um... The song Nervous Breakdown, just listen to what JD is saying in that song. It's powerful. And you know, it's weird because I look back at that now and it's 13 years later and I could listen to that song now with joy, but I think in that time it was more like therapy for me. Powerful track. The last two... Paper Wings by Rise Against, 2004. So 2004 was the start of law school for me. And um, during the Eric Coleman trial, may he rest in peace, when I wasn't bothering Jewel with my openings and closings, and I wasn't calling Scotty Z for help, poor world lost him. And Charlie, my dog, great guy, Miss Charlie. He was such a stress reliever during this time period. But um, I would walk around and listening to Paper Wings by Rise Against. And the lyrics are so powerful. And it's really about not being able to read somebody. Not being evasive. I can't tell if you're laughing. Between each smile, there's a tear in your eye. He nails it. And something about that song made me realize we were going to win that trial. This was my first time on the biggest stage, professionally. Um, and it's a tone for so many things after. But Rise Against from Paper Wings was more powerful in trial prep than any discovery I've ever read. It's my go-to in those tough times. And the last song talk about tonight is Something Loud by Jimmy Eat World. And this was the song that somebody from the past sent me recently after my high school clicks blog last week. <laughs> Let me be clear. Jimmy Eat World's a New Jersey band, right? And the song is just you know they're with an independent label now and they're sitting there talking about their past hold on I'm not going to play it right now but I do want to pull up these lyrics because there's this one stanza and I don't know it by heart yet Yeah. Friends of the show in 95 miss every one of them. There's a moment that you die or move on to live. Every one of us did. What I take from that. And what the person who sent me that song took from it. They told me I can't judge them and listen to those lyrics. I want to be clear on something. My prose or blogs, however you want to label them, it is not meant to judge. But I'm telling you this. I was there. I know what happened. I lived it. And I think sometimes it's easier to sugarcoat a memory than to deal with the reality of the situation. And I mean no disrespect by saying that. You know who I'm talking to right now. And I've known you since we're 14 years old. And I know when you sent that song, you're trying to say that I forgot where I came from. Let me be real. I could never forget where I came from. Let me rephrase. I will never forget where we came from. 
And where we came from was hell. You know it and I know it. But there were many that had it worse than us. But if you want to go back in time because you socialize with certain people today and say, oh, it really wasn't that bad. If that helped you get through the day, do what you gotta do. But I'm not going to apologize for anything I accomplished. I'm not going to sugarcoat shit that happened in 1993 or 1994. We were there in that house. We know what really happened. And in no way was that a knock on you. I was advocating for you. But because certain people at their cocktail parties in New Jersey may say, oh, well, that Amadeo, he's talented, but he doesn't do things the right way. Well, okay, kiss my ass. It doesn't matter how you catch a fly ball. What matters is if you get the out for your team. But by the way, till this day, my hand still goes on top of the glove in case that ball there pops out. And when I catch that ball, I am firing into the cutoff, man. Because that's the way we were taught to survive. I rather win and do it in a politically incorrect manner than look good and lose or hurt people I'm supposed to be fighting for. Don't forget that. I will not apologize for who I am or what I am. And whether or not you like it, we are the same. And it's true. I am more successful than you. And I'm not going to apologize for that. But when you were out taking their crumbs, I was working the graveyard shift at Tropicana and studying to get my family the fuck out of ghetto. So... When it comes to sacrifice and success in terminologies, let's be careful. Because sometimes we look back on a situation and maybe you think you're a little better than you were. Or maybe you put yourself down and you think you're worse than you were. What I try to do, for better and or for worse, is keep it real. And if keeping it real upsets people, don't tune in. If my existence upsets people what i've learned that's a problem with them not a problem with me i gotta tell you guys i played a lot of shit in my head the last few weeks cases and history and historical views and this and that i have never ever wronged somebody who did not attack someone I loved first. And we're talking about physical, okay? There's physical, you hit me, you're getting hit. Unless you're a woman, I'm walking away, like a real man should do. But let me be extremely clear. When it comes to that battle, that edge, that shit you see, if I'm fighting for someone or something I care about, that's not personal. That's internal. But I haven't wronged anybody. I really haven't. I may have upset people with things I said. I may be misunderstood. I haven't wronged those that claim I have. I have never thrown a first punch in my life. I've never taken a die from a woman. I've never started a physical altercation. I've never lied about discovery. I've never broken the rules for my own advantage. I have pushed the level of rules to advocate for my clients. I have outworked my competition. I have not always done it in the most politically correct manner. But for you to judge me based upon a blog, when we both lived that experience and I'm keeping it real, I'll make the disease I can you want to come on Facebook with me and split the screen up, I can tell my version, you can tell yours. Let the world decide who's being real and who's not. I gotta tell you, I may be an asshole at times, I may be arrogant, but I am not a liar.
the jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio. All right. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grade 1 Associates and... Today, um, I want to discuss the baseball card addiction that happened with myself and Matt McManus, and I think we hit a low point today. As I found myself tagging us in different places in Garden City, I realized this was a problem. So, this all started when one day I'm at the office working on a Saturday and a client starts talking about old wax boxes of baseball cards. And um, there's a baseball card shop in Ipsy. Ipsy Cards and Comics, which I like these guys. They're good people. But they know me too well now because I'm there all the time. And they had an 85 Tops box, 82 Flare box. And I text Matt. And I said, hey, we should buy these boxes. If we get a Mark McGuire PSA 10, it's like 30 grand. We get a PSA 10 82 Flare Cal Ripken, it's big money. And we're all excited. You know, it's me, Matt, and the live audience. We're going to buy these cards, and I had another idea. As I opened the cards, things got strange, right? H-O-I. It was like an addiction that came back to me from my childhood. And here's the thing, guys. Um, it's well known. If you follow me or watch my listen to my podcast or know my life story or whatever, it's well known that I sold my baseball cards as a kid to put a down payment on our first house on Dudley Avenue. So I had this idea. Do it again, right? We'll buy these cards and we'll flip them. And our firm will just buy a property couple condos we're looking at and we have a good amount of cards and premier stuff and blah 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 now here's the problem with that why didn't put the equation um when i was doing that flipping those baseball cards as a youth it wasn't a joyous time right It, it wasn't it was do or die, survival of the fittest. And I bought these cards from a young age and I kept them in nice condition and the industry was different back then. There was no PSA or Becca grading. It was mint, excellent, very good. You know, and it was a more simpler time. And as I was selling the cards and trying to have enough gas in my car to go to this baseball card shop to flip it. I was being a man but it wasn't a happy time. And somehow in life, we look back on times and think to ourselves, okay, that was great. No, it sucked. I was selling my cards for the betterment of my family and it was fine. And people would tell me years later, oh, you ever know, never hung one of those cards? You ever got them graded? I don't know what they would have graded at. But I do know at the time, the house in the suburbs was a lot better than the beatings in the ghetto. So selling the cards was not a big deal. With these cards, the current cards, things like today, I'm ashamed to say, we bought 21 Jump Street packs and a Mork and Mindy pack from 1979 because everybody needs that, right? And I'm going out of control. And now we start cataloging these cards and these large amount of cards are coming in, these old wax boxes and stuff like that. And you start realizing, okay, things are a little out of control. Let's slow down. 
So I say to Matt, what we'll do is I'll take on some misdemeanors. And we'll put the misdemeanor money into the cards. And that'll be fine. You know, it's just misdemeanors. I feel like I do a misdemeanor in my sleep. We'll just take the misdemeanor money and put it in. Obviously, the felonies and all the other stuff will go into the bank account as usual. But the misdemeanors, we won't miss it. Then the misdemeanors kept coming in. And then I'm starting to travel for felonies and picking up a misdemeanor. And part of the equation is like, well, you know, more stuff for cards. And then Scott Grable sends me this large, I have a large invoice for Scott Grable. And this is when I had my come to Jesus moment that things were getting out of control with me and these cards. Um, Scott owed me a large sum of money. And I called him and I put it on speaker and I said, okay, what if you gave me your Babe Ruth autograph ball and you gave me the 1954 top set and we'll knock this man off our bill? And Matt's like, yeah, will he go for it? And now, now I'm thinking to myself, holy shit. I'm negotiating earned money with Grable to try to get into his collection to add to our stash. Then I would start going different places. This is where things got strange. Really strange. If I was in Lapeer, I was up at a Lapeer baseball card shop. I was in Monroe, I'd stop there. And you start having these conversations with these people. They start to get to know you. You're the guy coming from court in a suit and tie, trying to make a deal on a wax box from the 80s. You know, and you don't realize how crazy things are getting. And then you meet all these different personalities. The high talkers. I want top door! And the low talkers. You don't know what the hell he's saying. And you're writing things down. And you're engaging with these people, right? And you're in this quest for these cards and you want to buy older wax boxes you put them in this shelf in this display case then you're going to flip them to wholesalers and you know and i'm on the phone with matt and i'm like hey i got a lead on an 82 donruss box and if we buy it for x amount of dollars we can clear 20 bucks then i'm saying oh my god am i doing this for 20 bucks on this box this can't go on so we bring in people we bring in a live audience. We bring in a former client who's retired. And we tell them, hey, start cataloging these cards. And we learn. We learn that cataloging these cards is not as simple as you may think. For example, the live audience was very confused about 84 tops traded. And he said... I see he wrote like 83 tops trade. I'm like, how did you do that? It's like, well, I'm not sure. He goes, it's really confusing, Bill. How do you figure this out? Well, it says on the box 84 tops trade it. So just write that down. And then the retired client. This guy asks questions about every goddamn thing. So do we break up the 86 Fort Flicks or what? I'm like, okay. And now this joy that you had is going out the window. <laughs> you know what, Scott? <laughs> Kiss my ass. Is it true you were trying to sell an 80 tops? <laughs> so, then you start making, new, you meet new people, right? And the people you're meeting are interesting. And you start sharing war stories. And I tell this joke, how this guy on Facebook tried to sell me an 8586 Opeachy wax box, a 78 Opeachy baseball box, and an 8081 Topps basketball box, and he won $8,500. I said, of course I have to pay $8,500 for that. And we all start laughing because we know these cards are tampered. And you start realizing that these cards are quite often tampered, so you got to be careful that the baseball card exchange seals them and your knowledge of this information is rising and you find yourself having these weird texts at 11.30 at night. Now you gotta find different places for your habit, right? So you go to Facebook Marketplace. This is when stuff got really weird. 
some of the people on Facebook Marketplace are extremely arrogant. This one guy had all these cards I was extremely, extremely excited about. And he put on his ad, do not text stupid questions. <laughs> so, I, I email him and I'm like, hey, that 84 OPGP Rose, it says it's a grade at 10. Is that Beckett graded or PSA 10? And he responds, I said don't ask me stupid questions. It wasn't a stupid question. And sadly, I, I gotta go to guy's house now. So I go to this guy's house. They sit on this lawn chair in this garage, right? And people are coming up to him like he's king of the world. That's what this guy does. On Sundays, he sells his cards. People are going there kissing his ass. They're like kissing the ring. So there were three cards I liked. I got cash with me. And I kind of blame the Shiawassee garage sale on this, or the not garage sale. Remember that story another time, though? And I find these three cards. And I know their value is about $1,250. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to offer like $850. Maybe flip it for $1,000. And I said to the guy, what do you want for these three? cash and he says to me the book value is 1300 i want 1500 like, what and then i get into it and i'm like okay why would i pay you more than the book value and now here's this guy in a lawn chair who we're yelling at each other about the value of these cards okay i gotta go i, I gotta get the hell out of here um, okay, I don't know what Ian Holiday is saying, but thank you, Ian, for your link. <laughs> and as you see, people start watching these lives. And, and why would you pay that much? Right! Exactly, Amber. And, um, this led to eBay and weird Facebook groups. And you realize after a 16-hour day at work, you're in this chat room, and you're saying to this guy in Baltimore, no, the 82 Flair Ripken test card has to be a PSA 9 or higher to have that value. And these jabs are going back and forth. And now, like, oh my god, I've lost myself. And, um, I don't know. Yesterday things got out of control. Let me tell you what happened yesterday. I come to the office early. I hit the gym, ass crack it on. I'm working, I'm writing, I'm doing my thing. And, um, I go to where our cards are stored. Simply went in there to go look at some stuff. It was like my break from things, you know. Uh, and I see we have these two vending boxes of 1974. Sorry, these two factory 1974 Topps baseball sets. Now you gotta understand something, guys. These are like 50 years old, right? So they're in these old boxes. And we have them stored a certain way. And the retired guy who... He's not that old, but it's a long story with him. But he packed these cards a certain way. And for some reason, he put the 86 Sport Flick set on top of these. And then we had 289 upper deck sets, and he moved them certain places, and cards are being bent and destroyed. And I'm losing my shit right now. I'm absolutely losing my mind. So I start calling Matt. I'm calling Matt, I'm texting Matt. I'm like a heartbroken teenage kid trying to communicate, and Matt's not picking up the phone. And I'm taking pictures of these cards, and um, I'm pissed off. So, I call the guy who wrecked the cards, and he doesn't pick up, and I know he's home, and I start driving to his house. 
Now, let me, before we order a mental health evaluation for me, I was not going to do anything physically harmful. I was going to scream at him, how the hell did you let this happen to these cards? As I'm driving to his house, I realized, okay, alright, stop. It's all good. Fine. Fine. Get both where everything's good. Okay. Serenity now. We go home. Scott Green with the inside jokes. And uh, Matt and I went to a baseball card show today. Now this is becoming like a low point now at this time. I went to the office I worked. And um, I got caught up my work a little bit. And I called Matt like, hey, sorry, I'm on my way. I'm going to be a few minutes late. And he's like, well, how long are you going to be? Like he was excited to go to this baseball card show. So, we go to the show, and um, it's at the Elks Lodge in Livonia. And I tag myself in the Elks Lodge in Livonia with Matt. And that was the first mistake, because, I mean, you can imagine some of my haters were really getting a kick out of me being at the Elks Lodge. Interesting group of people. And we're looking around, and I'm not finding anything I want. And, uh... There was an 87 Topps football box. I won it. And the guy won it 375 And on eBay it was 383 And there was no negotiation with some of these people. So then we start traveling around to card shops in Garden City. And um, and this is when things are like... You realize, okay, this, this is crazy. We're on the hunt for wax boxes from the 80s. And I don't know. And the final tipping point for me was um, there was a guy, again from Facebook Marketplace, who was on the way home. And he said he had a case of 1980 Topps Baseball Cello Box. Sealed! And I said to Matt, oh man. Gotta stop there. And I was gonna tag myself saying, hey, Checking in at weird guy's house looking for baseball cards. That was an option. So we walk in. And the guy's extremely arrogant. And he's watching the Tigers game. And um, he's telling me, like when the Tigers get a single, he screams, yeah, single! Like he's all pumped up. And um, we're looking and I say, where's the sealed case of 1980 Tops Baseball? And I start making jokes about PSA 10 Ricky Henderson rookies. And he's getting the jokes. And Matt's looking at me like I'm nuts. And, um... Brings out the case that it wasn't sealed. It was tampered with. And, uh... We left. And I stopped at a pawn shop then on the way home. Thinking, I guess if they had baseball cards, they didn't. And I felt like this must be like what a drug addict goes through looking for drugs. Couldn't find what I wanted, couldn't get the right prices, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And we bought a Richard Nixon card for 10 bucks, which, because everybody needs a Richard Nixon rookie. Um, I don't know, guys. So. As I'm tagging myself in different places on this excursion, Matt says to me, Hey, B, people are really going to think you're crazy for tagging yourself in things. And I said, I don't understand why you would think that. Then I start replaying some conversations I was having via text with some people. And a very intelligent lawyer, who I do not get along with, and I are texting about a case. And he goes, well, what are you doing right now? And I said, oh, well, I am, um, we're going around Garden City looking for cards. I want to get the 83 Topps football wax box. And I'm so frustrated about it. I can't find a good price anywhere. And and he stopped texting at that point. And, and you realize, okay, so I'm shaking people up. And I, I might have mentioned I was at the Elks Lodge looking for one.
I think what we need to do is stop with the baseball cards, sell them, flip into a property, and um, I, it's kind of stopped. I hope so many people don't think less of me because of this video. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. But um, this is my come to Jesus moment. Anyway, the baseball court excursion has come to an end. I'm heading home. Have a good weekend. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.